0: Hey friends, welcome to Life Together Unscripted. This podcast is for those of us who are just a bit tired of everything that looks so polished and schmick in the world. Production that's squeaky clean that you know has been practiced a million times. So we are hopeful that you enjoy the unedited and unscripted nature of this show. We can promise you that this episode you're listening to today uh, was unplanned on the front end and unedited and untouched on the back end. So we hope you enjoy this episode. This is Life Together Unscripted. Hey, hey, Laurel, how are you today?
1: I'm good, how are you doing?
0: Yeah, good, we are straight in, so thank you so much for joining me today. Yes, I know, I usually get that response. yeah. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Just look a little bit of ground rules. Um, I think we had mentioned it, but um, in this interview, it's unedited and unscripted. Uh, so for the sake of that, I only have you on audio today. Uh, you look great, um, awesome. but we're just looking for the uh, <laughs> audio version of that. And um, if you have any um, moments where you're unable to speak on anything, please just let me know and I can pass and pivot and and move on to something else uh, if that's too sensitive. And as well, um, if there's an opportunity or you want to ask me anything, uh, I'm an open book, as you probably know. So happy to do that as well. um, Yeah, off the the bat, Laurel, I was just curious to know, like, what do you remember? How how did we get to know each other from your vantage point, I suppose?
1: Um, I would have first become somewhat familiar with you when I um, was going to City on a Hill. I was taking uh, a young woman who'd become a Christian in jail to church and, um, yeah, we were looking for a sort of a central venue. So I went to City on a Hill and uh, saw you up front a few times there. And, um, yeah, and then I approached you to see if you would share with our Sunday Live Um program that we run in the women's prison, at yeah. prison
0: center yeah you're like that guy has a couple of tattoos he might um <laughs> communicate well with a couple of people i know with tattoos exactly
2: exactly
0: <laughs> yeah that's good um do you what is that process like for you to um bring someone to church i suppose like what is that uh you know this particular woman or any woman for that exact example um How do you feel about that process? What's it, is it hard? Like, do you you encounter many barriers or obstacles? Um, Do you find that quite easy? But just let me know a little bit of insights into your world. Um,
1: Generally, it's pretty easy to um, ask someone to church, Um, particularly if while they've been in prison, they've shown an interest in faith that they're quite open. It's not very difficult either. I would have probably gone to church Hundreds of women over the years, I'd say, um, but this woman had really, she really had an encounter with Jesus, and her faith became very important to her. She was just was just speaking to her. She was loved studying Bible, and so yeah, she realised as part of um, a disciple, she needed to be attending church. Um, sometimes the women are very apprehensive. Um, I think the church culture is very different to anything else and if you're not used to it, um, you know, even just the fact you all get up and sing together, that's an unusual thing.
2: Totally.
1: And so, um, yeah, and sometimes services can go for a very long time and women sometimes if they have issues with um, concentrating for that long can find that a challenge. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the church brings them. Some challenges to people, but at the same time, uh, usually the singing really speaks to the women and they really sense the presence of God. Some of them just Mm. cry. Uh, I remember taking one girl once and she just said, and when it finished, she hardly moved the whole time or said anything during service. And at the end, she said, Do you reckon they'd let me sleep here? (laughs) Um, So she could just sense a real peace that she had. Oh, and she said, do you reckon I could sleep here? So I didn't reckon they would, but I thought it was a good comment.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, to feel um, that amount of comfort, right, in a space like that where you're brand new and you are you don't know the people and, yeah, it's remarkable.
1: Oh, just just to say, feel a sense of peace that yeah. they're sort of going to be okay in the middle of her life was pretty full on and she'd never sensed that piece before so it was just mind-blowing
0: to her so yeah Mm, so good hey Laurel I'll probably wrap around um, and kind of talk a bit more about maybe some of the women you've encountered or some of the um, you know challenges of any of that and the integration of church and all of all of that but for now I probably want to jump back into your story a little bit at some point in time you said look I want to work for a prison and um, (laughs) I'd love to know how did that develop like was that um, just yeah just talk me through that
1: yeah, so um, growing up I was decided I was going to be a kindergarten teacher and I was going to live in a, I was going to get married, I was going to have six children and I was going to live in the suburbs in a house with a white picket fence. But um, then when I was about 19, it's a bit of a story, but I'd been brought up in a Christian home but strayed a little bit and um but then I met someone who just really loved Jesus and bizarrely I'd been in the church all my life and I'd never really met anyone who really loved Jesus like he was a living
2: mm.
1: person. And and I, I just went, wow, I want this, what this person's got. And um, anyway, so uh, I just felt, okay, God, now what do you want me to do? So now that I've committed my life to you, what do you want me to do, you know? And... Um I just felt God say just um just do it. Take your opportunities and you'll soon find out what God's calling you to do. Mm-hmm. So um I was at a youth meeting once and they wanted volunteers for a place. Uh, it was with Youth for Christ at the time, and they wanted volunteers to go in and visit this institution uh, called called Winlayton in Nuttawadi. And Winlayton was full of a hundred young teenage girls who were homeless, most had been abused, neglected, um, and had very dysfunctional families and pretty sad stories. And they needed volunteers. and I, I wasn't interested. I'm like, yeah, no, nah, I think that's me. And But I just thought God was going, well, take your opportunity. So I'm like, all right, I'll just do it. And the very first time I did it, I was like, wow, this is where I think I should be. And mm. three weeks later, my mum said to me, Loz, i like to uh, support you in whatever you do, but I really don't think you cut out for this. Mm. You know, working with really messed up sort of people and stuff like that, I don't think you cut out for it. Yeah. And that was about 30 years ago, and I've probably been in that space ever since. So yeah, wow. So what happened was... Um, I volunteered for three years and then I went on staff because I just, um, there was just too many young women that we were connecting with who had nobody. And so my my motto to myself became nobody should have, no one should have no one.
2: Mm. And I
1: just saw all these kids with no one. I'm like, I couldn't really get my head around being, say, 13 and not having one person in the world who cared about me. I'm like, that's criminal, you know. So um, then I just, um, yeah, I joined the staff. I had no qualifications, <laughs> no experience, nothing. But I was just like, well, in fact, I was working um, in a childcare centre at the time. And um, I just got to the point where I thought, oh, you know, if I don't look after these little kids, someone else will. But who's looking after these teenagers, you know? So I quit my job which my parents weren't that excited about. And I went to Youth Across and I said, look, you don't have to pay me, but can, can I work for you? And they said yes. <laughs> so um, it was probably a bit more of the story, but it kind of rolled from there. And then as time went on, a lot of the teenagers that we were involved with ended up, I guess, graduating to adult prisons. And so I start to do that on the side because they were growing up and I was growing up with them and... And, yeah, and then I got to the point where I realised that um, support for young people was greater than it was. Once you turned 18, people saw you as a naughty girl instead of a poor and underprivileged kid. Mm -hmm. So um, I made the switch full-time 25 years ago to Prison Network. Yeah.
0: Um, I want to kind of push further into that um, early days of on on the job and what that felt like. But you did say something and it was a passing comment, uh, but I want to press into it a little bit more. You said when you're around 19 or, or somewhere around there, you had some prodigal years. And look, you don't need to go into any of the carnage or what that looked like. But the question that I'd love to know is How did you relate to God in those years? So you said you grew up with, you know, faith background, kind of walked away for a number of years and then met this man that was, um, you know, relating to and on fire for for the Lord. So um, I guess the question would be, did you still profess to kind of have a faith or or be, you know, believer? Were you praying? Um, How did you relate to God? Did you kind of just turn your back altogether? What was it like in those years that you felt, you know, prodigal and, and walking away?
1: Yeah, I was still going to church. Okay. Um, in fact, I was a Sunday school teacher and I'd turn up uh, to teach Sunday school and I was like,
2: that's oh, something
1: yeah. over and I'd just been partying and i probably just got to bed enough to get up and do that. So it was really, it was really hypocritical. Sure. Um, but I never, for me, I was doing radical stuff. So I was doing parties, drinking, whatever. And, and for me, in my heart, I was quite a conservative person and I, I never wanted to do those things. I knew that was not what God wanted me to do. But I just got pulled away with peer pressure when I started to, when I left school and stuff like that. And, and then, um, but I tell you, what happened was um, one night I uh, was staying with my brother, at um, my younger brother, up at, uh, in the, at the beach, and we had a few weeks off and, and I came home really, really drunk one night and I'd driven. So I was drink driving regularly. Mm. Um, and I came home and I literally couldn't put myself into bed so my friend had to literally put me into bed. And I knew that wasn't a very good witness to my brother. And the next night I said, oh, I'll catch you later. I'm going out. And he goes, don't get too drunk, will you? And I thought, oh, mm. And that really played on my mind. I just thought, oh, what sort of a, you know, my brother's at a vulnerable point for a variety of reasons. And I was like, oh, what sort of an example am I being to him? Mm -hmm. And then it really hit me like, you know, like I was enjoying myself, but I would still wake up with an emptiness, you know, party all night, thought I had a gazillion friends, whatever, you know, but I would wake up and there was this emptiness still, you know. And I just was troubled, and I didn't really know much of my Bible much at all really, but um, I remembered the verse that said, "Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words remain forever. And I kind of thought, "Ah, oh. you know nothing else lasts, but God does. That really bothers me. <laughs> you know <laughs> And I could tell by creation that God was real, and one day I'd face him, I'd meet him face to face, and best I invest in what lasts forever. So, I really reluctantly became a Christian. Well, you know, I said, all right, all right, God, you know. But I was like, yeah, this is so boring. And, I, and it wasn't until I met this friend, and I'm like, wow, she doesn't make um, the Christian life seem boring at all. She's so in love with Jesus. She's just like amazing. And I guess an encouragement to anyone who's listening I only knew her for three months, mm-hmm. but she had the greatest impact in my life than anybody I've ever met. And I, that encourages me that, you know, sometimes we're not in people's lives for a long time, but we can be significant in that time. And, yeah, she just inspired me by who she was. And, and so then I was like, yeah, and then and then actually her, her father was a preacher and one day we visited him in the country and we're sitting around the lunch table on a Sunday after, I don't know, we must have rocked up at lunchtime, and he goes, oh, you know what we like to do on a Sunday lunch? We like to have Bible trivia. And I'm like, Bible trivia? Like, yes, serious? <laughs> yeah. And he starts asking questions and he looks at me and he goes, no, do you know that one? I'm like, no, nah, I don't know any of them. And I was, like, embarrassed. And I was like, I was just a teenager. I was like, yeah, and I'm like, no. Nah. And he goes, turns me, he goes, you need to get to know your Bible. Mm. And I was like, oh, mm, I probably do. And he goes, you need to know what you believe and why. I'm like, yeah. That's so true. So um, that same friend, she had a partner at Bible College in Sydney, and he used to get up at quarter to five every morning to have an hour with God. And I used to think quarter to five. I've only ever seen quarter to five coming home from the other day. end. Yeah. No. Yeah. I like not getting up reading your Bible. Yeah. But in the job I was in at the time, I thought you know what? <laughs> if I got up an hour early and still got to work on time, I'd have to get up at quarter five. So I started to. Mm. And the Bible just came alive to me, like, unbelievable. It used to be, I used to say the Bible was like a valium. You know, if you couldn't sleep, you'd read it and get to sleep. But it just came alive to me. And I I hated reading, couldn't sit still, I still can't sit still. But um, I read it cover to cover in three months. Yeah, wow. And um, I couldn't put it down. My mum, was a Christian, used to say to me, "Look, you know, I, I think it's really good you read in your Bible, but don't you think you're getting a bit carried away? Mm. <laughs> I was like, nah, I just can't help it, you know. Like, you know, mum, have read it? It's like, yeah. wow, you know. Yeah. Um, and so that was very significant. That really laid the foundation of oh, yeah. my decisions and who I was and, and yeah. It was powerful.
0: What do you think captivated you in the early days? Like when you look back in those, you know, those, um, those three months and that time you spent in the Word, and, and what was significant or impactful or you looked at, uh, I guess, Scripture in a new light or you looked at God in a new way?
1: I don't know what it was, but, like, I remember, like, eating's pretty important to me. I like to eat a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would finish my hour and then I just like carried the Bible with me as I got dressed, as I was eating my breakfast, as whatever. I just, was, just all of it was so relevant. And yeah. I don't know, I, I can't really put my finger on what, but I think it was just God saying to me, you know what, if you take me seriously, I'll take you seriously. Mm. And he was That's just cool. going to, you know, you're seeking after me. I'm going to show you who I am. And, and you know, I honestly became kind of so full. And I was like, I used to, I used to go, Jesus, let me live through the rapture, uh, sorry, through the tribulation, so I can just show you how much I love you. Don't take me out. I just want to show you. It's was just like, yeah. I don't know. The word just really changed my life.
0: so So cool. That's so cool. Well, hey, talk me through the transition point, I guess. Um, There's two things that resonate with me as you're talking about um, uh, women who are in one system and then move to another system, and I think I was – you pricked my ears when you said at 18 they become something else or something changes and maybe just start there and elaborate on what you mean by that rather than me filling in gaps. I'd love to know what you mean by that.
1: Um, I think people have empathy for teenagers. So teenagers who get into trouble, who have drug issues, whatever, it's like, oh, the poor kids, you know, they've had a hard time, which they, ne- they nearly all have. Um, mm-hmm. But when they turn from 18 to 19 to 20 and they become an adult, people just don't have as much empathy for adults as they do for young people. And so back when I started to visit prison, so I did the both for a while, the juvie and adult prison, women used to get out of prison with a garbage bag of all their belongings in it, which wasn't much, and they would literally walk down the road outside the prison with nowhere to go. They weren't even going anywhere, let alone have someone pick them up or or mm. own anything. Mm. And I was like, wow, well, how how can they wouldn't let that happen if you're under eighteen? But they used to let it happen all the time to women. And I just thought, What hope have you got? Yeah. When you've got no one, nothing and nowhere to go to. And that sight, which I saw regularly, really motivated me. I was like, uh oh, I think I need to make the switch. You know, people people need people. and mm. So, yeah, that's
0: what happened. Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess um, one of the questions that would, I guess, roll out of that is, um, you know, I've told my story a couple of times and my dad was uh, in jail and, and things like that, and so I'm not shy about speaking of that, but the rehabilitation process, as you've mentioned, Uh, can be very confusing and and entering into a new space and a new world. Um, Is that part of your, I guess, present day job? Like, does that something that falls on your PD? Or do you give out of the source of just love that you have for these women in terms of connecting them to a church or anything like that? Like, what does that look like um, for your, I guess, profession? And then maybe for just being a Christian, uh, you know, sister who loves people? Is there overlap in that or... Are you talking specifically about like post-release support? Yeah, I mean like so to me what you gave me a very vivid mental picture of a woman walking down the street in a garbage bag and that's sad, that's terribly sad. And so I guess I wonder um, as it relates to your job, is there areas on your PD that's like yep I'm supposed to do this. Uh, Are there areas that are not on your PD that maybe you just fulfil out of the goodness and love of your heart? And maybe just talk me through that process as it relates to a professional worker in a prison.
1: So other professionals who would work with women post-release would be allocated women, and it would be their role to try to get them some stable accommodation to try to um, meet some of their material needs, to link them with the council, that sort of thing. We are never allocated women. So it's those that we click with naturally or we think are particularly, we could particularly help, but we would do those things too if necessary. So... um, well, we, we, for example, have a unit for women who get out of prison because a lot of women getting out of prison are homeless, a lot. So at the moment we've only got one unit. It's just for one woman getting out. But having a stable place and supported, intensively supported unit is life-changing for a lot of women, literally life-changing, to have that security, somewhere to build and people around her. Um, so, yeah we would do the stuff that other people do as linking with other services and stuff like that. But we would also, the difference would be that we do the journey with people. So some professionals are allocated to somebody for, say, three months or six months. We would never do that. So we would say, hey, the door's open. Um, some women we're involved with for 10 years or more and they can um disengage with us and engage with us whenever they want, which happens quite a lot. So they're doing really well, then they fall in a bit of a hole or they have um, maybe a significant um, event in their lives and they really don't know who to turn to. I mean, I I one day was at the football on a Saturday night and I got a phone call from a woman and she said, look, you probably don't remember me. Um, My last contact with her was seven and a half years before And she just said, I'm in a situation and I just don't know what to do and I've got no-one else to turn to. So I'm hoping you remember me. I I remember her very clearly. But to think that you have to dig someone up after seven and a half years who you're not even sure will remember who you are because you've got no-one else, that's pretty sad. But that's quite a common type of occurrence with the people we work with who often have such dysfunctional Families and often dysfunctional um, and non committed groups of friends and stuff, you know, totally. who often the focus is drugs or alcohol or, or gambling or something like that, you know, they're often not, um, not there when you need them. And so, yeah, sometimes women just um, will recontact after many years. Mm. I guess yeah, and I guess like I say, my motto is people just need people.
2: Yeah,
1: you know, it's one thing to be a social worker—that's all good, whatever. But sometimes I just need someone who cares, really. Right?
0: Yeah. What's um? Ah, hmm. uh, my mind goes in so many different directions, but I, I, you know, the the first thing that I I guess um in this might be a bit crude, but I I think of like. You know, um, let me let me start with an analogy and, and we'll work our way back and, and see if we can figure something out. But you know, when there's like a hurt dog or something like that, like a stray or something like that, and they're missing an eye and they're a bit, you know, rugged on the outside, they've been doing it tough. There's a um, challenge of um, how to treat, you know, how to engage. And sometimes um, I think of Lisa's system and, and some of that, and Um, The analogy I'm trying to paint is I feel as though sometimes there might be a barrier for people who have been doing it tough to walk into an institution of the church and to walk into these white buildings, you know, with uh, singing and and all these things going on. And then also the church doesn't know how to then uh, kind of treat this person or, you know, that's been hurt. And sorry, I use the dog language, but I'm trying to like map on this like imagery. Um, And they are made in the image of God and they are beautiful, but they've been hurt. And then there's this like social disconnect, right? And, and I used to chat with um, a woman who worked at many rooms and, you know, we worked on our homeless ministries. But the challenge for the church is like, how do we, you're saying like create natural relationships and, and create, you know, areas where people can and love and be loved and all of that. I wonder if you have any just thoughts on that, like what you've seen work, what you haven't seen work. Like in my experience, I just know it's a lot of patience, like sanctification or, or coming to know the Lord, you know, is just really long and messy. Um, but would love to know just from your side and your chair, what do you see? What, like this is now to the church, I suppose, right?
1: I guess one thing that I have witnessed, and I, and I, and I think it's a challenge to the church, but sometimes churches can be quite good at being friendly, being a friend, that's a whole nother thing. And I sometimes would go to church with people for one year, two years. And people are friendly. Hey, how you going? Yeah, blah blah. Wow. Yeah. But never once do they get invited to anyone's home. I mean even for myself and I'm not having got my own church family, but sure. um I've been at my church oh, no at least 12 years, I've only ever been asked to anyone's house maybe three times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, and, you know, I'm big enough and ugly enough to get over that, but I think we've really got to work out, okay, how do I go? Because these people need community desperately. Mm-hmm. That. They don't need, just need, yet. Yeah, they need to learn, they need to be fed with the word, they need to experience the presence of God and all that kind of stuff. But they are going to have some people who go, you know, I, I won't just be friendly to you, I'll be a friend. Yeah. And that's what changes lives. Hmm. And, and, and one of the issues is um, that the discrimination goes two ways. So mm, yeah. the church people, they go, oh, you know what? this poor per- I mean, half the, the majority of people, I would bring the church, you wouldn't. It's an awkward thing to say, but you would, Go on, <laughs> wouldn't. know I'm Laurel. You're a be, company. They've been from, you know, they've been from jail, right? Sure. Um, and others, perhaps is a little bit more obvious for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But um, Yeah, and, and then people are like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll be friendly, whatever. But the other problem is... Um, that the woman herself feels so much shame
0: Yeah.
1: that she thinks she's unworthy, she thinks everybody knows she's been in prison, she thinks she won't be accepted, she thinks she can't relate to straight people mm. and they can't relate to her. And I think the church's challenge is to work out how to break that down because that's a real big problem. Yeah, and, and the problem is if people don't connect in a personal way mm-hmm. and someone from their past or someone who they can connect with because they've had a similar past comes into their life, particularly in a, a relationship sense, they're like, oh, this person gets me. Mm-hmm. And often it's because they get the wrong partners that they fall back into all the wrong people that they fall back into the lifestyle oh, they're trying to escape in the first place. Yeah. But I think if the church could do a better job of befriending them, really befriending them, that pull wouldn't be so strong.
0: And I love that so much. And you just gave me something for myself even to think about, like um, uh, what does it look like to not be friendly but to be a friend? Like that is a paradigm um, game changer that I'm hoping whoever's listening we'll just sit with that statement for a minute because that is, there's some real depth and real insight uh, into the church and some of what we experienced. So thank you so much for that. Um, Talk me through, maybe I I might turn a corner a little bit. Talk me through the early days of actually being on the ground. Um, So working within the church, I'm sure, well, I would assume it would come with some experiences. And and so I'm less maybe looking for, you know, certain stories, but more what was the feeling like? You know, you say your mom had some challenges with you stepping into this and you're probably a little bit green behind the ears or, you know, whatever that statement is. So maybe just tell me, what's that like? Is that 18, 19, 20-year-old? Is that what you said? Something like
1: that? Uh, the, uh, by the time I started, I was uh, 21. Um, yeah, so... I was young and immature and these really were the most complex kids in the state. And, you know, you've heard the term, the expression that you get trying in the deep and you learn to swim fast. Oh, boy. I tell you, um, boy, did I make a lot of mistakes. Oh, my goodness. Like when I look back, I just hold my head, go, oh, you know, like, you know, when you have a, you know, your heart's in the right place but going and delivering sometimes it's just um pretty horrid and um
0: can you tell like can you expand upon that in any way shape or form without getting yourself in trouble like is it things you said or you know like I just I'm just curious
1: um so so the whole team of us at Youth for Christ at the time we just did 24-7 you know like so we just like we'll get cold out in the middle of the night and you know I'd go to St Kilda, walking the streets of St Kilda looking for people and with no fear whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and God had his angels working overtime yeah. on my behalf. You know, I'd go and knock on the door of dealers and tell them to stay away from my kids and let in the middle of the night, you know, and I'd be uh, you know, I got to follow it's sort of one day I um one night. I went to see somebody, I don't know how open I could be here, but um, they obviously had a demonic problem and mm. that decided to manifest while I was um with them and they tried to choke me to death and stuff, which, you know, and there was nobody around to help me. ended up getting wrestling on the ground in the middle of the road um, at like, you know, 10.30 at night. Um, so you know, look, I wasn't overly careful going, you know, I was just kind of like, ah, you know, of... just do stuff. And I just did yeah. stuff. And look, I moved out of home and thought, you know, I, I, I used to be challenged by this guy who who uh he was from New Zealand, Youth for Christ, and he used to say to us, he used to live in a house with um twelve Maori boys from gangs, right? And it was only a, a three bedroom house, so I just put them all in double bumps, including him there's 12, 12 of them in this house having community, but at least they had a roof over their heads right? And he, he'll he come to us, to us in Melbourne and go, so have you guys got spare rooms? And we'd go, oh, yeah. And he'd go, why? How can you do that? How can you have people homeless and you've got a spare room? Like, how do you justify that? And, you know, it's like, you know, Jesus talks about how you treat the least of these and if I was hungry and thirsty and naked and, you know, what are you doing about that? And we went, oh, help. okay. So everybody on the team, which had grown by this stage, we all took kids in. Um, and we just became this community of people with kids who'd been homeless and and wards of state and stuff like that. And, and there was never a dull moment there either, but it was an amazing time of community, which was quite powerful. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I was living at home at the time and then I thought, oh, you know what, I need to move out because I was on a pretty low wage site so to, like, live at home. And um, but then I thought, oh, you know what, I'm going to move out and I'm going to have a place and I'm going to take kids in. Well, that seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, and I said, oh, I was moving in with two other, you know, women in their 20s about my age. One of them I knew quite well, the other one I didn't really know that well. And I thought, oh, you know what, we need a couple of months where we get to know each other because, yeah, it could be fairly full, i taking these women in. Well, the day I moved out, I got a phone call from a lady. She said, you know that kid you placed in our house? We can't hack her anymore. You're going to have to come get her. Hmm. That's, this is the first day. Uh, we're, we're like moving from stuff. And uh, yeah. just so happened that the girl they wanted to move out was living and these people were living in the same street we were moving into. So they were living at number 21 and we were at 70. So I just went up gathered her a few possessions and brought her home and thought, this is not quite how um, I expected it to be. And on the very first night, she obviously felt so rejected. Mm. She knew we didn't really want her, like it wasn't our timing and and these people just couldn't have her anymore. So they kicked her out and her pet, her mother had rejected her and she'd been sexually abused by her stepfather and the mother had chose the stepfather over her. So these kids just feel like it's terrible. And then that night... She overdosed. Um, so we spent the night at the hospital and she ended up in intensive care. And we thought she was going to die. And so, you know, like, and then that year, we, um, she came good. And amazingly now, she's a Christian. That's quite an amazing story. But um, we kept taking women in and we took too many, really. And one of them. Um, the older woman took the younger woman down to St Kilda and started her in prostitution, and that was really bad and I really struggled to come to grips grips with that because that started a terrible life for that girl. Um, And we took in another young girl who no-one would take, even the government homes wouldn't take her, and the social worker begged us to take her And he said just one night, we ended up having her for a few months, Um, and one night we we took another girl to hospital because she'd overdosed and when I got home the other girl had slashed up in the lounge room and there was a knife on the ground and there's blood everywhere and then I went back to the hospital with the second girl and the woman at triage just looked at me and said to go, what on earth are you running down there? You know, like, <laughs> so um, there was never a dull moment, that's for sure. And uh, I guess, to at that stage, there wasn't as many. Now, there's so many restrictions on what you can do and what you can't and how you go about it and all that kind of stuff, which I think is a pity. Well, it's kind of sanitized things a lot and you can't just do life with people as easy as you used to. But yeah, made lots of mistakes back then, Dom. Still make lots of mistakes. But, um, uh,
0: Laurel, it sounds like you're cursed with a massive heart. Is what it sounds like to me. You, I'm, I, I'm just hearing these stories, and you sound like just such a warrior and so fearless and so, um, look, I'm not uh, like unbelievably loving. Like you know, there's there's these areas of, is this, um, I don't know. You say too much or whatever, but it's like, look, you've got these stories where years later this woman became a christian you know and and it's it's messy and sometimes it doesn't always work out but you're putting yourself in a place to just love and to be a friend and to be supportive right of these women
1: yeah yeah that's basically what you do but like i mean you know those teenage girls and the women that we work with these days are very lovable it's not it's Mm. not hard to love
2: them
1: um it's messy um but yeah I think personally God's just blessed me if I am fearless and, mm. and you know there's a very fine line between having no fear and complete stupidity yeah um I'm not quite sure which one I lean towards but I'm a bit worried um but yeah well so
0: let me let me just pause you there what what have you learned in terms of wisdom like so one of the things I'll just say is anecdotally it's my Kind of only thing with this, but for for a while, um, look, my mom would have been um, homeless for me with me when I was very very young, and so you know both of my parents always uh, were very generous and very um, just just Christ likeness Even in the midst of not being that, they were they were um, they would engage with homeless people when I was very young. So I had that as a template, and later on in life, I had this you know desire to change things and 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 enter into that and and lead in that space more for myself and just. Um, and get to know homeless people and, and try to go through a process of what can I do to help, right? And I, I notice there's a lot of times where it's just like, it's unwise to do X, Y, and Z. And I wonder, because I feel like there might be, um, the church has maybe gone way too far in one direction at times to say it's unwise to do these certain things. But for yourself, now, you know, been in very sketchy situations and also seen the good in a lot of situations, What's what's some of the things that you reflect on over the years as you say, you know what, maybe this is wisdom for me, maybe this is wisdom for other people because it's messy.
1: Look, you know, I could say all the wrong things here, Donald. Just let me know, okay? Yeah.
0: Thanks for that, Laurel. Hey, you know what? All of us can at any one point in time, right? It just so happens that we're recording this. But look, I want honestly who you are and us working it out, you know.
1: So look, you know, I'm gonna be the one to push the boundaries because I don't like I don't like sanitized Christianity and I don't like sanitized and to be honest, I really hate. It's pretty controversial, but I really hate all this talk about self-care because, Jesus said, unless you take up your cross, now Mm. that's pretty painful. I don't care what way you look at it, Mm. that's painful, that's costly, that's sacrificial. Mm -hmm. And I reckon if you're not living a sacrificial life, you're actually missing what it's all about. Mm. So but people want to, you know, You'll never have me on again, Tom. Go on.
0: No, I look. This is this is exactly the purpose of this show. Uh, it's to challenge those in the institution, and for onlookers, it's to say, yeah, let's let's figure out how to have conversations.
1: So I reckon the Holy Spirit says different stuff
0: to what the rule book says, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. And I reckon that. Um, you know, there, there are certain things that you should and shouldn't do. But sometimes the Holy Spirit goes, just do them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like sometimes they seem unwise in the eyes of whoever, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But, you know, I mean? as someone said to me recently, um, who, a young girl who was part of our community back in the day, I, I caught up with her recently and she said to me, she's a social worker, and she goes, you know what? I'm sick of my job. She said, you know what, so many social workers and social justice stuff. She said, give me out food vouchers and, you know, helping someone for a couple of months. She goes, that's good, but it's not life-changing. Mm-hmm. And she said, we going to be doing stuff that's life-changing. That doesn't change people's lives. What changes people's lives is real connection real community and sacrificial stuff.
2: Mm.
1: And I'm like, that is so true, you know? It is. You know, we want to we wanna sometimes put our name down and feed the homeless, you know, for a meal once a fortnight or whatever and feel good about ourselves. You know what? A lot of the loneliest and neediest people, they're not on the street, they're not homeless, they're mm. shut away in their own home too scared to go out because they feel like society hates them or doesn't care about them. Mm. And, and it's not all about the homeless. It's about mm-hmm. it's about the single mum who's locked away. It's about the woman with agoraphobia who's just so depressed and so got so much anxiety and all the people who've had domestic violence and stuff, and they're too scared to come out or they're too, too scared to engage or whatever. You know, and sometimes reaching out to those people is costly, difficult and, like, not just, it's not even costly and difficult. It's just um, um, really becoming meaningful in those people's lives Mm -hmm. takes time and effort and you don't box it in to a two-hour slot every whatever. You know, I think we're just, I think we're so into self-care that we've gone over the top. So it's like, I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be.
0: Yeah. But Can you tell me what you mean by that? Like what you mean by self-care as you're kind of, you know, that might be a, a derogatory term for you, but what what does that mean when you're talking about it?
1: Well, you know, too many people, I reckon, are worried about burnout, worried about having a balance in life. I don't know. I look at Jesus' life. I'm not sure it was that balanced, actually. But, um, you yeah. know, so it's all about looking after number one or, you know, don't get too tired or don't give up too much or, you know, what if you don't have time for that or you can sure. have time for yourself. Yeah, you can have time for yourself, but golly, it's not supposed to be 24-7, yeah. you know. You can have time for yourself. You also gonna have time to really put yourself out there with people where it really costs you, you know. All right. reckon.
0: so good.
1: You know, like you, you, go to, you go to seminars and stuff and they're just all talking about self-care, you know. If you know what God wants you to do, he'll, he'll, he'll sustain you. He'll, he'll give you whatever it takes to do it, you know. People say to me, oh, you know, have your life so long, you know. How come you haven't burned you out? It's pretty for long, whatever. I'm like, no. Nah. You do what God calls you to do and, and you do it, well, as much as you can in his strength and his leading. and I've well, never got close to burning out, even when it's, really time-consuming and yeah it's it's okay to give up oh, you know what sometimes we want to do everything that everyone else is doing and just tack a little bit of ministry on mm-hmm. I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be yeah
0: uh, thank you sister I, I, I absolutely agree it uh, ministry is not meant to be whatever um, system necessarily but it's meant to be all-encompassing and there meant there should be an element of sacrifice within that and that's going to look different for different people because god's calling him to different spheres and everything i think man it's really interesting and hard because one of my like one of my life goals is to have a, a house you know that i own or whatever that has kind of an outhouse that i can seek to rehabilitate or just have a place but i'll be honest with you like as i'm just sitting in real time i had a rough childhood so i had you know dad going down to harlem doing drugs um being a junkie putting me in really scary places and i think i still Really kind of wrestle with what is it and and my mom brought in a bunch of people so they in their generosity brought in a bunch of people but in that in a bunch of people it was really quite scary and um and so I, I i think my role now as an adult is figuring out when i say wisdom it's really challenging because i'm like i got this little one and i and i'm trying to reconcile and figure out what is wise to in terms of loving and being a friend to someone who desperately needs and then now having a wife and a son and not putting them in harm's way for my areas of care or whatever it looks like. Um, that might be archetypal. And I'd love for you to maybe challenge that or maybe even push in further. What do you, what do you think? Whether it's myself or whether you kind of take that archetypal story that says I don't want to, you know. Mm. Do you have any thoughts on it? And if you don't, I can pass. I, just, I was just curious because <laughs> that's, what's, that's what's kind of percolating in my mind as you're talking about this.
1: I think it can be a matter of going. God, you know, like you know that I don't want to put my child, my wife, whatever, at risk. But I want to do something. You know, yeah. um, make the right person come across my path or whatever. I think. I think when there's a preparedness to do. What God calls us to do, um, it will fall into place, you know. I, I know it's not always risky. The risky part is sometimes just that it might be time consuming, or you may not make the progress with the person that you perhaps wish, or whatever. It's not always physically dangerous, it's not always um, often seriously. A lot of the people I've known, they've given far more to me and taught me far more than I've taught them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we need to realise that. Every person you reach out to is like, well, hey, what has this person got to teach me and and, and offer me? You know, like it's not all about oh, poor me, giving out everything to mm-hmm. these poor people. It's not like that, you know. Um, yeah, everyone has their gifts and talents and stuff they bring and, and experience that yeah, can enrich our lives, I think.
0: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I'd agree with that. Thanks, Laura. Hey, um, you did mention self-care. Uh, and it's funny because I did want to ask, though, um, where what does it look like for you? So, you know, I, I'm sure you've got, like, I'm sure you've got a multiple, multitude of experiences stories and and how do you not burn out but it's like i guess my question is um you know do you look at it holistically in the sense that you've got prayer and god the father you know ministering to you in the holy spirit you've got um maybe processes at work you've got friends or family Um, i suppose the question is where do you find your comfort and your help and your how do you debrief well for yourself
1: um debrief well are probably just friends i think mm-hmm. sometimes people who are in the ministry are just people anyone will listen or other people i know who get it you know but i probably don't feel the overwhelming need to debrief perhaps that much you know that's just for me it's just life when i'm pretty used to it and you know, you kind of just go with the flow, but yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I do stuff for self care, I <laughs> suppose. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like I, I run and I go to the gym and I play the gym, mate, not always that well, probably you've heard, Dom. Um, um, and I just kind of, you know, I like my sports to watch them and that kind of stuff. And i would do those sort of things, I guess, for self care, but. I don't necessarily
0: need to talk over everything with everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're just a rock sister. Like I have kind of rubbed shoulders with, you know, people in different um social justice nonprofits or, you know, social workers or counselors or things like that. And and there's an element of um I need to be able to get something off of myself so that I can care and love for someone because it's sticking to me. Like, you know, that, that human element of there's pain and there's hardship. Um, and I, I, I've, I've one, experienced that, but two, I know that to be um, for other people as well. And so I was just wondering for you, does stuff stick to you or are you able to, you know, um, let go or release and...
1: Um. Do I have sleepless nights? Oh absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do I get calls in the middle of the night and then I can't go back to sleep? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But you know, that's okay. You know, it's just, I don't know. I just think that I think a lot of the time we think we're supposed to have this life where everything's just neat and tidy and we'll get out of sleep and we blah blah blah. And we're just kind of, it's okay to be a bit, you know costly and a bit edgy and a bit like not perfect and whatever you know like, That's great. like yeah it's okay, yeah. It's, it's you're,
0: okay.
1: You're,
0: you're worried about not being on the show again I'm like yeah when can I get her on again she's so inspiring <laughs> <laughs> such a kick in the pants in the right way I, I appreciate you sister you're so you're so great
1: I've got a few minutes left I could absolutely uh, burn that opportunity if you like
0: um, yeah. yeah yeah you know what I'd like to know is um where is the integration and the overlap of your, I guess, um, your faith and day job? And um, uh, what can you talk about that, I suppose? what What is your heart for working in the prison system, but then also being a believer? Like, where where's your vision towards a grander picture or how do you see yourself positioned or what do you want to do with the, you know, space and, and influence that God's given you in this place?
1: Um... I guess really trying to get, give people worth is with a lot of people who just feel worthless, you know. Mm. And so I guess my objective and my team's objective would be to give worth to people mm. and to believe in them. Some of them have never had anyone believe in them and some of them Many of them have never had a significant other in their lives, and I don't mean um, necessarily partner or anything, but someone significant in their lives um, to go to, to journey with, to be there for them. You know, their lives are often so hectic and whatever that, um, and often they've moved around a lot, and, and there's just no no consistent person in their life who they can come to who they can be encouraged by who they can be guided by who they can just cry to that kind of stuff so I guess um, look to be totally honest Don when I first looked at the system way back in a million years ago um, I could see there was uh, it's probably coming out of what I say anyway but I could see that there was social workers and there was workers for this and workers for that. But I really just saw early on people just meet people. That's so much more powerful than these people who just are in and out of their lives. And I think, yeah, so being that consistent journey, I guess I say to all the girls I'm involved with, I just say, you know, remember I'm the president of the chair squad, you know, you can do this, you know. You know, just everything, just really encourage them and say, "Hey, you know, you know, there's so much more," and and just really celebrate their their victories and their and any of the positive choices they make and stuff like that. You yeah. um, know. So yeah, they're not very professional. So I don't know who's listening to this, but um, yeah, sometimes I just really want to be a friend to them. which is unprofessional bit bit of a dirty word these were these days but i think that's where the gap is
0: (laughs) i i can absolutely appreciate that and i think you know you're so christ-like in the midst of that right you're boiling it down to the essence of what you know that phileo love is that friend that friend love and um you know i was gonna it's funny because i was gonna go on a tangent and ask you like if I'm an emotional savant, what does it mean to coach or support or whatever? But, but really, I suppose I don't need to go down that pathway because you've answered it. I think you've answered that the Holy Spirit um, will supply you with that in, in your experience and also um, just to continue to be cheering on and being a friend uh, to those who are in need. And it might not be someone out of prison. It might just be yeah, real and true and organic friendships to cultivate. Yes.
1: Absolutely. You know, like I had a couple of people over last night who are pretty soon gathered because they don't really have any friends, you know, Mm -hmm. and they must have thanked me a million times for asking them for dinner. I'm like, you know, (laughs) yeah, I just think genuine friendship is just worth its weight in gold Mm -hmm. and and that's what we can all all offer. We don't have to be... We don't have to be qualified, we don't have to have so much experience, whatever. Surely that's just part of who we are. And yeah, like, but that's the most powerful thing. And they say that, you know, the, the reason the majority of people become Christians is because of um, a friend. Because of, of, yeah, of the influence of a friend. And the second reason, the greatest reason people become Christians is because of um, crisis. And you go, well, yeah, surely I can be there for whoever in in both those things. But I guess it's, look, it doesn't matter what you do. It's like, uh, today, Jesus, just lead me to the right people, to be in the right place at the right time. You know, that's just life, isn't it? You know, but going, and whoever that person might be, I'm prepared. No, I'm prepared to, yeah,
0: do whatever you call me to. I love that so much, man. It's been such a pleasure, Laurel. I'm going to, uh, we're going to get off here in a second, but is there anything in terms of um, closing comments, uh, anything, I, I don't know, that you'd like to promote or anything that you'd like to, um, yeah, help us with an awareness of anything that you do, or is there anything to close with in that regard?
1: Got me on
0: the spot now. Um. Look, while you're talking about it, I just want to thank you for the opportunity um, to come and share a uh, story. You, you know, when you tapped me on the shoulder, that was a, a wonderful experience um, to enter into your world and enter into your space. And so um, thank you for that work that you're doing. Um, it, it's... Um, I was wondering if I should say this, but I've said it to a couple of people, so I might as well say it. Um, I, I came across, like after um, connecting with you a couple of times, I, I had said the words, that's what ministry feels like. Like that's what true and real and, and good godly work feels like. And I'm just so blessed to have crossed paths with you and, and just wanna thank you for those times uh, that you've invited me into your space um, to help out in those ways.
1: Um, so glad you've
0: said that, Tom, because I'm um, not be asking you to come again. Very <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> look, anytime, Laura, honestly, and even if there's other things like I know I'm on public record right now, but like if there's other things I could be doing, I, I just love your cause. I love what you're up to. And I like I love your heart, sister. Like, it's been a pleasure to just sit and chat with you and hear your heart because it's usually me talking, you know, so just hearing uh, more from you has been wonderful. And yeah,
1: no, I look, I just I guess I um, Yeah, look, I went to City on a Hill for maybe like, yeah, maybe almost a year with this um, woman and I was just so impressed by City on a Hill and I I recently had a woman in Geelong and I'm like, you know what, have you got a church yet?
2: You need
1: to get checked out City on a Hill. But I was just really impressed with City on a Hill for lots of reasons and, um, yeah, from Prison Network's point of view, we're really happy to be connected with um have any connection with City on a Hill, I really have hold them in high respect and I love how they preach the word and um yeah I guess the only thing I would say to Christians is one thing I've seen over the years is a lot of Christians get really start to love social justice. You know, we need to be mm. doing more, well. we need to be blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. But in the in the end they often um, trade in Jesus for doing social justice. Mm. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that, to really passionate people, but social justice becomes their God instead of the one true God. And that's been a really, really heart-wrenching thing to say, to do. But, you know, it's God's spirit that enables us to do whatever you want to call it, social justice well. You know what I mean? He's the one who loves the poor more than us and I never do it without him. Like it just, yeah. yeah. So um, this got nothing to do with anything. But
0: no, you're right. It, and but that's look. That's the way to land because right, we can get lost in the operational thing that we're doing and forget that our, our game or our aim is about people. Love God. Love people. Should be unbelievably simplistic. And we lose sight of that. We, you know, we get caught up in the laws. We get caught up in the the systems. We get caught up in the groupings or the affiliations or the social justice. And it's like main game, <laughs> be spirit-led each and every day and love people. So, yeah, Absolutely. it's
1: perfect. Just, just in closing, it just reminds me of Fred Hollows, who's run a fantastic charity and, you know, so many people have got sight because of him, but he started off as a Christian and he, did, he said, quote, in the end I got too busy for God. Mm. And we can do that. It's like, oh, well, then you're too busy, dude. Like, <laughs> you know. It's just, yeah, we never want to do that. Anyway,
0: thank Laura, you. you yeah, you but, are an absolute legend. I'm going to hit end on this, but I might just stick around for a minute or two just to debrief. Bless you, sister. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening today. If you found this episode helpful, please do share it with a friend. We want others to uh, embrace this unscripted life, this uh, life apart from promotion or perfection but honesty and purity and love. So until we catch up again, let's consider how we may spur each other on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, but encouraging each other as we see the day approaching. Love you guys, peace.